Suit yourself. Real-time scenarios with real residents. Hello, I'm Dr. Jones, and this is my colleague, Dr. Tenori. We're going to ask you a few questions today about cases you could see in your real practice. We'll give you the information that you need, but feel free to ask for any further information you'd like. If we tell you something is not important, you can believe us. There are no trick questions. Let's get started. Your next case is a 33-year-old woman who presents to your office referred from her primary care physician because for the last two weeks, she's had bloody nipple discharge from her right breast. Uh, she hasn't had any signs of infection. She hasn't had any pain and she's never had any palpable masses or other breast concerns. She has had regular mammography and uh, that's never demonstrated any problem. Um, of note, her mother died of breast cancer in her early forties. Um, the rest of her history is not significant to the problem. And so you don't need to gather any more of that. What do you do from here? So one question that I wanted to ask is that why did she start her mammography at an early age? Was it because her mom BRCA1 or 2 positive? She doesn't know. They didn't do genetic testing regularly mm -hmm. uh, at that time. Uh, but since her mother died at such an early age, it's presumed that she has uh, some genetic predisposition, even though she's never been tested. Okay. Well, I will start with my physical exam. For physical exam, I would like to um, focus on um, just looking at the breast, palpating for any masses bilaterally, also evaluating the axilla for any lymph node enlargement and um, the um, um, palpating for any neck lymph nodes. Sure. So on physical exam, uh, you know, no skin changes, you know, that the breasts are symmetric and uh, that there's no obvious abnormalities uh, to physiology. Um, on deep palpation, you're unable to palpate any masses, cystic structures, or other concerns. Uh, with deep palpation in the upper outer quadrant of the left breast, uh, you do have a very small amount of blood that appears on the nipple. Um, in axillary exam, there's no palpable lymph nodes. Same with cervical and supraclavicular. She's entirely non-tender throughout, and you don't notice any other abnormalities. Okay, so I will start by uh, sending the cytology from the express blood uh, right from the office. Uh, if I have an ultrasound in my office, I will do just a bedside evaluation with an ultrasound to see if I would be able to see any masses uh, or even possible uh, calcification on the ultrasound um, or cysts. And um, then subsequently, I would uh, send her for a diagnostic mammogram. Sure. So your ultrasound uh, demonstrates no clear abnormalities. There's no calcifications. There's no dilation, no cysts, and no echo, uh, sorry, no echo heterogeneity um, of the breast. Uh, you do send off the cytology, and it will, of course, be a couple of days before that comes back. You send her for diagnostic mammography, and diagnostic mammography is read as BIRADS-1. Um, with uh, no visible abnormalities. Okay. Um, at this point, we can also uh, offer a patient to do a, a dactogram because it is possible that she has um, uh, intraductal papilloma 
um, and um, rarely, but with Dr. Graham, we can diagnose that as well. Okay. Do you do the Dr. Graham? Do you send them somewhere? Um, I would uh, send them for imaging uh, somewhere else because I do not do that. But if, uh, in fact, the intraductal papilloma is uh, suspected and diagnosed, then I would do the excision myself. Okay. So sure enough, you send her uh, to radiology for a ductogram, which does demonstrate uh, what appears to be a small intraductal mass about one centimeter from the nipple uh, in the left upper outer quadrant. Um, and in the suspected duct that uh, emits a small amount of blood. Uh, you schedule for a duct excision. Um, tell me what you can send her for. Um, so uh, I will um, essentially uh, consent for, for excision of the uh, breast duct uh, and uh, also a tissue biopsy uh, from, from that area. Um, there is a possibility that if uh, when I'm excising the duct, if I see that there is an abnormality or uh, some sort of abnormal looking tissue, I might do an excisional biopsy as well. And what are the risks of this procedure? Uh, bleeding, infection, need for other procedures, um, resection, inadequate resection of the duct and um, uh, persistence of her symptoms. She is still hoping to have children one day. Um, it, she wants to know if there's any concern about breastfeeding after having this procedure. Sure. I think that after she heals, uh, particularly, uh, we will just target uh, a certain area. We will not be excising a large amount of breast duct that will prevent her expressing milk when she is breastfeeding. So um, excision of that particular duct, yes, it might cause some distortion, but when she heals, she should be able to proceed with breastfeeding. How do you do the ductal excision? Sure. So um, I will make my incision. Um, so first of all, when we get and prep the patient to the operating room, we will proceed with expressing um, and noting where the blood is coming from, for which particular duct. Then we will use a small introducer to um, insert inside the duct. And um, we will use that as a guide of where we will do our incision. But along, uh, the incision will be along the circumference of the nipple. And then um, we will clear the tissue um, and um, essentially we'll be just using the instrument to guide us how long the duct is. And then we will excise that. Okay, so you're able to excise what appears to be a single duct. Uh, there's no palpable abnormality in it. Um, and uh, you send that to pathology. They confirm that, yes, uh, it is a uh, duct. Uh, and there does appear to be a small intraductal mass that they will, of course, send off for um, uh, permanent section. Uh, do you want to send it for anything else? So um, I want to also... Um, just analyze it for any DCIS or any cancer cells, and if possible, for uh, ERPR positivity. Okay. Um, let's assume for the moment that it comes back as DCIS, triple negative, uh, and there's uh, no sign of genetic abnormality despite her history. Um, how are you going to counsel her from that? Okay. So uh, because she does have a diagnosis of DCIS, 
um, there are several uh, options that she has. One, if she is concerned with the history and her mom having significant history and passing from breast cancer, we can offer her um, a radical kind of approach of doing a total mastectomy. Uh, perhaps we can do a nipple sparing or something like that. We can also tell her that it, if she elects to do a bilateral mastectomies, it is a possibility, but it doesn't have to be done uh, to decrease her risks of developing of breast cancer. She wants to know um, what the least invasive possibility the, is. The least invasive in her situation would be a lumpectomy with radiation therapy. Unfortunately, because it is a triple negative disease, she will not be a candidate for um, uh, uh, endocrine therapy um, for ERPR positive cancers. Great, thank you. So, Dr. Tinnery, what did you think about ECAT's both presentation and some of the stuff that she discussed and her approach to the diagnosis and management? First of all, I think we have to look back that this is a breast question, and no matter what the examiner says, you want to ask those critical pieces of history such as age of menarche, number of children, et cetera. And I think she skipped over that. I would have probably asked that question. Yeah, I completely agree. I think one of the take-homes is standard breast anything, do a full breast history. How many children, early onset, late onset, puberty, all that kind of stuff is really, really important. Um, and it doesn't really take much. Going to my own um just now, I do think there were a lot of as, ums, and pauses when she's thinking. Again, you can coach that out. Nobody will fail anybody because of ums or ahs if you get all the questions right, but it does distract the listener from what is actually being said. Right. We want a density of content rather than noise. Correct. And then finally, I think this question was interesting because there was a bit of a surprise at the end. She was thinking it was going to be an introductal papilloma, and it turned out to be a DCIS she kind of jumped to what I'll call an extreme management and used an interesting choice of words. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So she did frame it with as DCIS with her family history and her mother and all that, if the patient wanted, and then she used the word radical and mastectomy in the same sentence. Now, in today's age of Zoom and listening and focus, I hear radical mastectomy. It's like, what on earth are you doing? What she actually said was, it's a radical approach to do a mastectomy. And mastectomy right. can be indicated for DCIS, exactly. even though it's a radical approach for a small lesion where there were good margins. Yeah. So I think she would pass this one, but just a couple of landmines you got to watch out for there. Completely agree. The topic at hand here is bloody nipple discharge. Even though the pathology of this question ended up being DCIS, let's kind of generalize it and think about breast workup. First of all, any breast question should have a standard approach. You always need to ask specific things. For example, age of menarche and menopause. You want to ask about a patient's pregnancy history. You would like to ask them about oral contraceptive or hormonal therapy and you want the family history specifically for breast, colon, and ovarian cancers. Those 
absolutely, no matter what your examiner tells you, you should double check that information. When you do your physical exam, always talk about doing lymph node exams on the breasts and always examine bilateral breasts. Then when you go forward on imaging, when we're talking about a bloody nipple, the workup is a little bit different than other types of lesions. You always, of course, will start with your diagnostic mammogram, but the typical pathologies for bloody nipple discharge are not going to be visible on diagnostic mammography most of the time. Ultrasound is actually a lot more sensitive, and so if you think of a bloody nipple discharge patient and you get a diagnostic mammogram and an ultrasound, that really will set you on the right track. If your ultrasound and your mammogram are both negative, you can then proceed to MRI. MRI is somewhat sensitive, but again, if you're having trouble making an identification of a lesion, then you're going to need to upgrade to the more specialty tests for bloody nipple discharge. This is where you hear people talk about doing a ductogram, where if you're asked to describe it, you're going to cannulate a duct, and this can only happen with ducts that have discharge already. So that means on physical exam, if you can express bloody fluid from that duct, that's how you know you can do a ductogram because you'll cannulate it, you'll inject dye into it, and then you'll do an x-ray or a mammogram in order to help localize your lesion. This will help you when you go to resect it. And then finally, some of the obscure tests are something like a ductoscope where you can put a very, very, very small endoscope down into the ducts and try to image. This is very highly technical and unlikely that you'll need to do this on your oral boards. When you go to excise a ductal lesion, basically you're doing a subareolar approach where you're going to access the tissues underneath the areola, identify the ductal system which is affected, and do an unblock excision. Just keep in mind that the treatment for intraductal papilloma or non-DCIS and non-cancer lesions is going to be different. And this question in particular went into DCIS treatment. So just make sure that you have a dividing line in your head between DCIS and intraductal papilloma. Always listen to your examiners to get the full real diagnosis after you do your excisions in order to help you guide your therapy. Mm -hmm.